Yeah. Here we go. All right. Good morning. How are you? Good. I have no idea what that sermon bumper had to do with the spiritual discipline. So fly through space, be spiritually disciplined. I don't know what that's about, but that's okay. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 today. Um, you actually heard that uh, scripture reading, and that's where we will be for a lot of the day. Um, I'm excited um, about this, and I'll explain why in a minute. But um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please feel free to grab and to take that Bible. Um, we want you to have the Bible. So if if you don't own one, then you can keep that Bible. That's our gift to you. Um, feel free to take those. Um, also, you can follow along on your smartphone. Uh, so if you have a smartphone, pull that out. Um, underneath the live tab, uh, you can type in the Well Austin. You'll be able to find us there. Um, you can follow along with scripture. Uh, there's notes. There's other places, stuff like that. If you don't have the Uversion app, you can take this link, put it right into your, uh, your browser, and you'll be able to follow along in that way. All right? Um, so today we're going to be doing, uh, starting a two-week series, a very, very short series, all right, on the spiritual disciplines. Uh, we've been in John for a while, and we're actually going to go back to John um, in about two weeks, but we're going to kind of be highlighting some of the spiritual disciplines here um, and kind of what those are. And so some of you may be very, very familiar with this topic. You may understand very clearly what the disciplines are. You may even um, practice them or maybe even be able to teach them to others. Uh, for some of you, may, you may have no idea what that is. You don't, don't even know what that word is. You're just trying to combine the two together. So we're going to kind of talk about um, both of those. We hope that in the end, both parties, those who are very familiar and those who are just kind of coming to an understanding of what it is, would be very, very encouraged in their pursuit of the Lord because this is one of the most foundational ways in which we're able to understand more of who God is. And so what I'm going to be doing here today is I'm going to kind of set the foundation of what are the spiritual disciplines, and we're going to kind of look at those. What are they? Why are they important? And then we're going to go back, at least in a very large perspective and look at um, each of them individually to some extent, okay? And so everyone who wants to grow in their understanding of and in their knowledge of God needs to practice and understand what the spiritual disciplines are, okay? Um, this is one of the main ways in which we grow and in which we uh, learn about who God is. And so there are many ways that God tries to communicate with us, right? But like any relationship, there are certain things that we can do that really help uh, cement or drive into a closer intimacy. And the disciplines in our relationship with the Lord are one of those things in which we can really uh, cement or drive closer our relationship with God. And so you can divide the disciplines in many different ways. Um, there's a lot of different ones. We've decided to divide it, since we're only doing two weeks, into two different categories, one of them being the disciplines of engagement, okay, and one of them being the disciplines of abstinence, all right? And so, in other words, the disciplines that involve us doing something or engaging with God in a certain way, uh, uh, prayer, scripture, stuff like that, and we'll talk about those today. And then next week, the disciplines where we abstain from something or give up something, right? So, silence and solitude, fasting, things like that, and we'll look at those next week as well. And so today we'll be discussing the disciplines of engagement. But what I first want to do is I want to lay a little bit of foundation as to why the spiritual disciplines are important and how you should come and approach the spiritual disciplines. Because for a lot of people, what this kind of sounds like is it kind of sounds like a list of things that you're supposed to do in order to gain a deep relationship with God. And we know that God's the one that pursues us, right? And so when we begin to uh, put do things, when we begin to try to work, it's very easy to kind of get into uh, a pharisaical mindset, 
right? Like a, a very religious, a very duty-oriented mindset. And so we kind of want to lay the foundation as to what the disciplines are in that way. And so even if you don't know Jesus, right? Like even if you say you would not have a relationship with God, you're just trying to figure this whole kind of Christianity thing out, uh, maybe something sparked your interest a little bit, the disciplines are actually a great way in which you're able to do that. Because what the disciplines do is it begins to teach you about who God is. You begin to search for him in certain ways and you can understand more so of who he is and clear the same is true with Christians. So whether you've been following Jesus for one day and you're a brand new Christian, if so, praise the Lord, we're glad, right? Or you've been following him for 72 years, right? No matter what the kind of category is, both of these, uh, whether you're just trying to figure out or you're a veteran in the faith, the disciplines are a way in which we can engage with God, grow a lot closer with him, all right? And so one example that we'll talk about today is reading the Bible or studying, Right, And so if you think about it, this is an important discipline because through this, we see the character of God, right? Like as we read the Bible, we see, oh, this is how God acts in this way. This is how he thinks about this type of situation. We see what God wants us to do in our life, right? So he lays out principles, commands, stuff like that. And the very gospel itself, how we enter into a relationship with Jesus is found in scripture. And so the discipline of study or of reading is an important one because through it, we begin to get a glimpse of God. You tracking with that? Okay, and so practicing the spiritual discipline, um, hopefully in doing these things, we can begin to understand more of who God is, all right? Um, and so that's what we're gonna kind of be hitting on today. Um, since tomorrow is um, the uh, college football national championship, I hear some people are kind of excited about that. I am a Michigan fan and Ohio State is in it, so I am not very excited about it, but that's okay. Um, and then since yesterday and today, um, the NFL playoffs are kind of in full gear. I figured a football now would be good to kind of highlight the spiritual disciplines, all right? And so um, if you think about it, think about Jesus being the quarterback because most people would assume the quarterback's the most important person on the team. If you have no idea what football is, just like act like you're listening, but check your text message real quick, all right? This is gonna be a football-heavy analogy. But Jesus is the quarterback, and we're the receivers. The receivers are the people who catch the ball, right? What the spiritual disciplines are is us running the route in which we can receive the ball from Jesus. Are you tracking with that? And so there are over 80 routes that a receiver can run in football. Some of you didn't know that, but one of them is like a slant, right? And so maybe prayer is like running a slant. And what you do is you run and hope that you're open and Jesus throws you the ball, right? Maybe scripture reading is like a fly. That's when you just run down the field, okay? Um, there are all different types. And so the spiritual disciplines are like us running different routes. Now the disciplines, and the reason why I use that analogy is because they do not guarantee that we'll actually receive something from God right? Like the receiver can run a perfect route, okay? And the quarterback can decide to throw it somewhere else. Maybe somebody else is also open. Maybe you think you're open and in reality or somebody right behind you is going to kill you if you catch the ball. So the quarterback's protecting you, not giving you that, right? And so often what people think is, well, if I read my word, then I should automatically gain this intimacy with God, right? Like if I'm in prayer, then automatically I should just like have this super spiritual high. And then when we don't, we're disappointed, right? I mean, are y'all tracking with that? I do that, I know. God, I'm reading the word, I'm praying, what's going on? The disciplines are running the routes, right? However, God may not throw the ball to you at that moment. He may throw it to somewhere else, okay? But if you don't run the right routes, you'll never get the ball, right? Like if the route calls for you to run a slant and you just stand at the line, 
The quarterback's going to look for where the slant's supposed to be. You won't be there, and the ball will go to somewhere else, okay? And so a lot of people think that just because they're doing the disciplines, it automatically uh, should have some sort of spiritual high that happens. And that's not necessarily true, right? But you need to run the route in order to receive the ball when it does come your way. And so the disciplines are running the route. On top of that, not just from an emotional or an intimacy connection, but just pure discipline really helps shape our obedience in Christ. He's called us to do certain things. And so when we are disciplined in those ways, it really shapes that and helps us walk in him more. And later on in life, that will carry out more fruit, more intimacy with God as well. And so things like prayer, fasting, meditation, etc., that's engaging with God in those ways. And so I want to look at 1 Corinthians, and I want to look at the spiritually disciplined person. All right, so this is kind of the foundation. So we're not going to look at the spiritual disciplines yet, but what characterizes the spiritually disciplined person? All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to pick it up starting in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. I love the Greek there, and the, uh, uh, I discipline my body and keep it under control. The Greek word is I beat my body and make it my slave right? They didn't translate that because we're a little bit sensitive toward those things, okay? And sometimes rightly so, right? But that's what it's actually saying. I pummel my body or I beat my body and make it my slave, all right? And so we see a few things about the disciplined person here uh, that, that Paul kind of highlights for us in this section. Um, Paul also uses a sports analogy, by the way. So I'm sorry for like the hipster artist for the sports overdose today, all right? I'm sorry about that. Next week, we'll use like painting and guitar riffs or something and explain the spiritual life, okay? That was meant to be a joke. That's okay. <laughs> you can laugh. I guess it wasn't that funny. That's why I didn't laugh, right? I'll, I'll work on that. Um, anyway, so Paul's discussing an athlete who runs or a boxer who fights and uses this in a spiritual perspective, right? Um, and so athletics were actually huge in Corinth. Um, the Olympic Games started back in that time, right? And so Greece, it was huge. And all the athletes would come around. They would train for up to 10 months for one specific event. Okay, so you think that like football is huge in America, and it is, and you think it's huge because it's so like, you know, massive, so much media, but I would even argue like historically speaking, these were even bigger events because they would train for 10 whole months to run one race. And so when Paul uses this analogy, they're all familiar with it because they are ingrained in a sports culture, and they've seen that. They probably even know athletes who have trained and trained and trained to try to get this one prize, okay? But we see three really important principles about the spiritually disciplined person by looking and comparing it to the athlete, okay? Firstly, we see that the spiritually disciplined person is deliberate in all things, all right, that's the first point if you're tracking along. The spiritually disciplined person is deliberate in all things. He's deliberate or purposeful is another word if you want to use that. Paul says that he's exercising self-control, right? He's a purposeful person. He's deliberate in what he does. And this is very true of athletes too, is it not? Like if you think about the athletes, you probably think about them as pretty self-controlled people. Now maybe not publicly, like maybe they're doing crazy things, right? Like you think about Johnny Manziel, but he's probably not even going to make it because he's not purposeful, right? Um, that was my A&M jab, all right? 
I'm losing today. We'll keep trying. All right, we'll keep trying. <laughs> um, me and Zach Martin share a love for the Patriots, um, who did good yesterday. Praise the Lord. There we go. Another person. All right. And um, so he told me about uh, last week, he just kind of mentioned in passing about Tom Brady's work ethic. And so I went and I found this video he was talking about. Tom Brady, who's a quarterback of the Patriots, um, is meeting with a strength and conditioning coach who understands what will happen to his body three years in advance. And so what Tom Brady does is he trains today for what will happen three years later. And so the guy says like, hey, in three years, your triceps are going to kind of start tearing away a little bit and you won't be able to flick the ball like this. So you need to do this instead. And he begins to work out that way and train that way. Also, he could be a good athlete, right? That's pretty deliberate, isn't it? Or purposeful, right? I don't know what's going to happen to my body next week. So I wouldn't even know what to do there, you know? Um, another documentary that I saw that was really interesting, it was on an NFL running back. I saw this several years ago. But they were uh, in his house and he was making his lunch. And the guy got some blueberries and put them on a scale and began to measure out his blueberries. So he put the blueberries on this scale and it measured too heavy. So I'm not exaggerating. He took away three blueberries and then was like, oh, this is where I need to be. And then started eating that. Okay, I'm lucky if I like eat three blueberries in a week, you know, I feel healthy like I had a blueberry pie. I'm good to go. You know, I got my fruits and vegetables in. But this guy was literally measuring his blueberries, you know. And so these very deliberate or very purposeful. And Paul says the spiritually disciplined person is very similar to the athlete in that way right? They are purposeful. They're deliberate about what they're doing. Secondly, in this section, we see that the spiritually disciplined person is discriminatory in all things, okay? This is true, once again, of an athlete as well, right? There are some things that if you want to be a great athlete, you simply cannot do, right? I mean, you, you think about that? Like, the quarterback can't drink seven beers before he's about to play the game and then go try to be the quarterback, right? He has to be discriminatory. He cannot choose to do that right before the game. Why? Because he needs to choose the right thing, okay? Or like for you non-sports fans, so the guitarist, right? Like uh, the, the, the person who wants to be really, really, really great at the guitar can't just sit on the couch and watch like episodes of, you know, TV and like the Gilmore Girls or something, you know? My wife watches the Gilmore Girls, which is the only reason that popped into my head, okay? So I'm not saying all musicians like the Gilmore Girls or something, all right? I'm going to lose all my artists in here. I love y'all, okay? I'm, this is just an athlete uh, analogy. But in the same way, okay, in a very similar way, the spiritually disciplined man needs to be discriminatory, right? He needs to choose, pick and choose what he will and what he will not partake in. And so if you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to choose to do some things and give up other things instead. You cannot, as Paul said, run aimlessly. Just do whatever you want to do, right? We know the person that runs aimlessly will not win. The boxer who only swings at the air is going to get beat down by the opponent, right? And the same is true with the spiritually disciplined man. So can I tell you something, what that means for you? You may just have to get off Facebook if you want to read your Bible. <gasps> right? It's like taboo to say in the day, right? But you may have to do that, okay? You may have to get a little bit less interested in that sports team so that you can actually come to church. I know the Cowboys are playing soon, right? Don't worry, this won't be a nine-hour sermon. But like maybe to give up something just a little bit, a half hour here, so that you can choose a better thing. Because that's what Paul ends up saying, right? It says that they cho chose for an imperishable wreath, but we a crown imperishable. And we'll talk about that in a second. I don't get any amens for that though, huh? 
right? Get off Facebook, okay? You may have to give up watching TV to pick up some time in prayer. Like you may have to pick and choose what is most beneficial for your relationship with God. What is it that will bring you the most joy? Because frequently we think that we're choosing joy for ourselves, but in reality, we're, cho- we're choosing neutral, right? Like watching TV isn't bad. Being on Facebook isn't bad, right? I do both of those every week, right? But those are neutral things. And what if we can choose life? What if we can choose joy, which happens to be found in Christ? We may have to give up the neutral in order to pick the greater thing, right? And the spiritually disciplined person is mature enough to realize that they have to do that in order to seek Jesus more, right? So can I give you an embarrassing confession here? Some of you are like, yeah, I love that. You need to repent, all right? You want to just hear embarrassment, all right? But um, embarrassing, I mean, I'm being serious. And I only say embarrassing because it's a little bit shaming toward me. But um, so I have this little um, ad on uh, to my internet browser and it's called Waste No Time, okay? It, it, next to your browser, it sets a little clock. And what I literally have to do is I have to put certain websites into this like Waste No Time thing. And whenever I get on that website, it begins to run down my time time quota for the day. And so I get 30 minutes on like different websites that I want to be on. And once those 30 minutes are up, if I try to go to the site, it'll redirect me, all right, to like my Gmail page or something. And so like, it'll warn me, like you have 10 minutes left on the site today. And I'm like, oh shoot, you know, I gotta hurry up and read this article. Like I gotta try. But I had to literally do that. I had to be discriminatory. I had to choose that because I found I couldn't necessarily control myself sometimes. And so I would think that, oh, I'm not spending that much time on the internet you know, and then I would go look and I would realize I'm spending an hour, two hours a day reading about the lions and the cowboys controversy, you know, and I just end up choosing a lesser thing over the greater thing. And so I literally had to put a little like block on my computer so that I would not do that. Like an athlete, the spiritually disciplined person has to give up some things in order to run well toward Christ right? Thirdly, the spiritually disciplined person is diligent in all things, and you see that here as well. So they're deliberate or they're purposeful. They know what their target is, right? They're discriminatory. They choose what to engage in or to abstain from, and then they're diligent, right? They pursue all the right things continually, okay? When I was uh, in uh, college, we started up a group called Click 927, all right? I think we were trying to make it cool and add the word click into it, all right? That made it very lame, apparently, okay? But um, it was based off of this, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. And what we did was we said, we're going to get up every morning at 5 a.m. and we're gonna read the word together and then we're gonna talk about what God was showing, okay? And so we did that. Like I started the group and I said, hey, let's do this. Got like four or five different guys together. They were all down, okay? And so there was a sense where I was diligent. I started something right? I was discriminatory. There were times where I had to go to bed early, all right, instead of actually going. Um, But I was not diligent, which is the last one is I did not stick with it, okay? After three weeks, I was like, this is dumb. I'm done, (laughs) all right? And I stopped going, and everybody else stopped going, like, the next week, and then Click 927 was no more, okay? Which is really good because that's a terrible name, but, um, like, there, I wasn't diligent. I didn't keep running through with it, you know? The athlete, if he trains really, really hard for one day and then decides not to train that hard for the rest of the week, probably won't have the greatest game on Sunday. Here's a better analogy. The person who wants to get in shape for New Year's resolution, 
You know who you are. You're in here, right? You go, you sign up, you get the year-long membership. Next week, you won't be there anymore, right? Why? Because there's a lacking of deliberateness or of follow-through, if you will. And that happens a lot with the spiritually mature people. You have intention to read the Bible, so you do it for a day or two. But then you feel like you don't catch the ball, right? You feel like you don't have the spiritual high, and then you begin to lose it. And then next thing you know, it's been a month, two months, three months since you last really sought Jesus in a disciplined way. You know, and so Paul says the person has to be disciplined or diligent in that. And so it's important. Um, If you want P words instead of D words, purposeful, protective, and persevering. All right, you're purposeful in what you do. You protect your time well and you persevere to the end. Uh, One of the spiritual gifts of a pastor is alliteration, in case you didn't realize that, right? Um, But whatever works for you, okay, those are important things, all right? Now, Paul made this great analogy, but he had a huge point about something there in verse 25. He said that they are running for a perishable wreath. Now, what they would win, okay, if they were uh, great athletes and they won some of the biggest events, is they would either win a crown that was made out of olive branches, all right, or a crown that was made out of celery. Celery, all right? Like, that is very, very perishable, right? And it doesn't even taste good, okay? Like, at least make it out of Skittles or something so you can, like, eat it, right? But it doesn't even taste good. So what he's saying is they're running for something that is so minimal, And what Jesus has offered us is something that is so eternal. Now, he's not saying that physical pursuits are bad in and of themselves, right? Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says um, that you need to, uh, uh, that bodily training is of some value, is what he says. But, uh, But spiritual training is of value in every way because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. So he's not saying bodily training is bad. He's saying it is of some value right? Like some of my New Year's resolutions was to be more like in shape. So I had drink eight glasses of water a day, which everybody has and nobody does, right? Except for the few of you that carry around your Nalgene's with you. But I had that on there, right? Uh, one of them was to work out twice a week. Uh, one of them was to do cardiovascular twice a week. So like physical things, those are good things scripture says, right? And Paul isn't dogging the person who's winning a wreath of celery, but he's saying that if you're going to work that hard for that and it perishes, right? That hard for this tasteless, nasty, perishable food, right? At least celery is nasty to me, all right? How much more should you be working towards spiritual things? How much more disciplined, how much more deliberate, how much more should you be trying to strive for that which actually brings you life? That should be your full soul's pursuit, right? Like if the athlete can train this hard for a perishable thing, what about us for the imperishable? And so the disciplines are one of the main ways in which we get to know or which we get to interact with God, and they should be something that we strive towards, okay? Like an athlete, it's important that we practice these. And I think our text in 1 Corinthians here also has a second very significant thought before we move on to what the disciplines actually are. So it's for a perishable wreath, Paul says, right? But there's also an interesting sense in verse 27. Paul says that lest after preaching to others, he himself should be disqualified. Now it's easy to think that Paul is talking about like salvation here, right? Like disqualified from salvation. But uh, you would train for 10 months and if you did anything that was outside of the training, they would actually disqualify you from running in that race. Now let's pretend that a Greek, okay, because that's where he's writing. Let's pretend a Greek was training for eight months and then they caught him with like HGH, right? Human growth hormones, all right? That's a big thing in the NFL right now. Um, So like they caught him with something weird that was like illegal or something. He would be disqualified. Now, he would not lose his Greek status. He would still be Greek, right? Like he wouldn't all of a sudden then be like a Jew, 
right? Like he's Greek. That's who, literally who he is. So he doesn't lose his identity, but he's disqualified from being able to participate in that particular race. And Paul, in the same way, is saying that when we begin to lack spiritual discipline, when we don't run hard toward that, that we can become disqualified, right? That doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. Like if we don't read the Bible, then we're no longer saved. That doesn't make any sense. You don't lose your identity. But the race that God has you in, maybe there's something that he wants you to do, let's say. Like he wants to use you in a particular way. But when we lack the discipline to be able to do that, we may be disqualified from that particular uh, activity, right? And so the disciplines, important, are not salvific, but they do point towards salvation, okay? And it's important that we get that. The disciplines are not salvific. They don't save in and of themselves, but they do point us toward the person who can save, Jesus, right? They don't save you, but they point you over and over and over again to the person who can. And so we have to be careful not to think that doing the spiritual disciplines will save us or something, because I think it's very tricky, and I think that it's easy for us to begin to think in that direction. Like, if we read the Bible a lot, then we're just going to be the most spiritual beast stud that's ever existed, right? The Pharisees read the Bible a lot. A lot. And they were far from the kingdom, right? And so the spiritual disciplines don't automatically put you into a place of salvation. Do you get what I'm saying there? Right? They don't automatically increase your intimacy with God through the roof, but they point toward how you do that. They show you what it means to have a relationship with God. That's the difference between the Pharisees and the disciples, right? Is that the Pharisees were doing this trying to gain salvation. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do all these things. And they're trying to gain life from it. But Jesus says, what we read a couple of weeks ago, you're missing the point. These things are meant to point you toward me. And so the disciplines, very important, are not salvific in and of themselves, but they do point us to Jesus over and over and over again, right? And so it's important, therefore, that we practice them, not because our salvation is on the line, right? Like we're not any less cool with God if we begin to not do the disciplines, but because of who it points us to and the ability to draw into that relationship when we practice the disciplines, right? So it's possible to be doing the spiritual disciplines for the wrong reason. And ultimately, these disciplines are so important because they point us to Jesus. Uh, Richard Foster, who is a man who wrote on this topic, he said this, in our enthusiasm to practice the disciplines, we may fail to practice discipline, The life that is pleasing to God is not a set of religious duties, right? Write that down. If you don't, if you struggle with that, write that sentence down. The life that is pleasing to God is not a set of religious duties. We have only one thing to do, namely to experience a life of relationship and of intimacy with God. That's how he started his book, right? It's found on page four of the book on spiritual disciplines. And so he's kind of highlighting the same thing. This is why it's important for us to practice too because of who they point towards, right? And so once again, whether you've been walking with Christ for a day or 80 years or you're trying to figure out Jesus, the disciplines are a means of grace or a way in which we can try to enter into a deeper understanding of who God is and through that draw on our relationship with him right? Like Natalie and I, for example, we have date night every Wednesday night, and it's very disciplined, right? Like nothing interrupts date night, okay? And so over the course of five years, we probably missed like 10. Some of them because it was like Christmas and Thanksgiving were on that day, right? And there were very, very few that something happened that did interrupt that. But mainly we're very disciplined. Why? Because it's an important means in which to grow our relationship. Now, if all we did was have date night on Wednesday night, that's it? What does that mean? You know, like we had date night and we just sat there and looked at each other. You know, that it wouldn't mean much, right? But since we set aside the time, it gives us the opportunity to be able to communicate with each other in that way. Once again, the disciplines are kind of the same way, all right? So you tracking with that? 
Good. So that was my introduction. Let's actually start the sermon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you got really scared, all right? <laughs> I know I haven't discussed the disciplines individually, but um, I did want to give the foundation because I think that's very, very important as you think about the disciplines. Um, so I'm going to highlight six of the disciplines of engagement is what we're calling them, but I'm going to ski through them extremely quickly. All right, I'm going to ski through these. And so if you're a fast writer, write that down quickly. But I felt that when preparing, we just had to discuss more so the importance of it or the foundation of it rather than the how-tos of spiritual discipline, like how to practice this, how to practice this, right? So if you want a great how-to book, okay, write down Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. I think I have a picture of it. There you go, right? That's what the book looks like. Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. Um, there's a lot of good books on this, to be honest, um, and I haven't read all of them, but out of all the ones that I have read, this one is through the roof, the best one for me, okay? Because it's very introductory, and so maybe, like, you could read this, have not even a clue about Christianity, but begin to understand what he's talking about. So he writes it for the layman's terms, which is great, okay? But it's also very, very deep in the same way. I actually read, like, one or two chapters of these each year as I practice certain disciplines. Like, every time I'm going to go practice silence and Solitude, I read this chapter on Silence and Solitude because it's great, okay? And so it's a really, really great book. So if you want really good how-tos, I would encourage you to go get that book. It's probably very cheap on Amazon, um, and you'll be able to find it, and I think it will really help in how-tos, all right? So discipline number one, the first discipline of engagement is worship, all right? Worship. William Temple um, described worship as this. To worship is to quicken the conscious by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. How great is that? Isn't that great? Right? Um, one thing that's important is that you would engage in worship. This is a way in which you can discipline yourself to begin to try to have a deeper relationship with Christ, to know him more. So this happens both on a personal level and on a corporate level, all right? And so I wish I could go on about this because it would be so helpful, but one of the things that's really important in this is like you need to come to church. Like that's one of the disciplines that are very important and helpful for your spiritual maturity, okay? Write down Hebrews 3.13, write down Hebrews 10, 25 and 26, or 24 through 26, go look at those verses along with the hundred other verses in the New Testament and try to explain how you cannot come to church and still have a good relationship with God. Scripture actually points that as almost impossible, right? And so the whole movement of like, well, church isn't that important, like that's not true. That's of Satan. That's a lie, okay? Church is very, very important because in that you get to worship God corporately. I know it's very easy for me to say as the pastor, you know, I want you all at church. Yes, I do, right? But even more so for your spiritual vibrancy for life, Scripture says this is one of the ways in which we do it. When we come together and we worship as a community together, when we take communion and think about Christ, when we hear the word taught, when we fellowship with one another, there's something that goes on that's almost mysterious, but it really does help us in our relationship with the Lord, right? Like there are very few times where I walk out of church and I just go, man, I feel like I'm flying on cloud nine, Right? But week after week after week, I do, like this does something to my soul that helps me know Jesus more. Matter of fact, I know because when the opposite happens, when I'm not at church for a week or so, I start feeling it in a negative way, 
right? Like even over Christmas, it's like all of a sudden these old habits start coming back up and I'm like, what happened? What, what is going on here, right? Part of what I was missing was worship, being involved in each other's lives, okay? And so this is one of Richard Foster's best chapters to me in the book is the, the section on worship. And so if you wanna pick that book up, look at some good how-tos in worship, then pick that book up, it's good. But worshiping God both individually, right? Like in our own times with him and corporately is a huge way in which we can engage in our relationship with God, all right? The second discipline of engagement is celebration, okay? Celebration. This one's great. Whoever said Christianity is meant to steal fun out of life hasn't been around some of the most godly men and women that I know. I mean that, you know? Some of the most godly men and women that I know really enjoy life. They celebrate, you, they, you can compare them to anybody on 6th Street and they would blow them out the water, right? <laughs> They know how to celebrate life. There's something about it, right? Celebration is actually a huge discipline in the Christian life, okay? The Christian life should be one of celebration because this is one of the ways in which we know Christ better. We celebrate life, we celebrate good food, we celebrate friends and fun. Why? Because all of those things are but the fringes of what eternity will be like. All of those things are the shadows of what it will be like to live in eternity. For example, I love good food, right? Last night, thank you, amen, right? Somebody said amen to that. Come on, preach it, right? I love good food, okay? Uh, we went to the Salt Lake last night because we performed a wedding outside, all right? If you want me to marry you, don't ask January like 10th or something outside, all right, at seven o'clock at night. It was cold, um, but uh, it was fun. We went to the Salt Lake afterwards and the food was great and I got to do all you can eat because I did the wedding. They're like, well, you can get whatever you want. And I was like, I'll get the all you can eat, <laughs> right? And I ate and it was so good, you know? That piece of brisket that I have will taste like cardboard in heaven because one day, do you know what happens when we first get to heaven? It says that Jesus feeds us a meal that he made. He treads the wine press, as scripture says. He comes and he serves us a meal. Now, I don't know who that brisket cook is, but he's not as good as Jesus is cooking, all right? I guarantee it, because Jesus made that man, right? And so it's so important, right? Celebration actually shows us what we're longing for. It produces in us a hope, right? When we celebrate, when we think about that, it actually gives us a hope. Good friends, like think about it. You and I could be good friends, but I'm still a sinful man, and you know that right? You're still a sinful man or woman and you know that. But one day in eternity, we'll have no more sin and we'll be able to enjoy each other in perfect harmony. So good friendship, celebration in that way, actually points us toward eternity, right? So do you see I'm saying how these disciplines are not salvific in and of themselves, but they do point us toward salvation. They point us toward the hope that we have in Christ. And celebration is one of those, right? God is actually so devoted to this idea that in the Old Testament, they were supposed to practice a year of jubilee, not a day, not a weekend, a year of Jubilee, okay? And what they would do is that they were supposed to set all the slaves free. So anybody who was in prison, they would set them free. They would not produce, like they would not work their crops, stuff like that. And they would just party for a whole year. Now, I don't know why they never did that, right? I would have been like, sign me up. I want to be Jewish, right? But like that was what God literally set up to try to get them to practice celebration, and they never even practiced it, right? No work. They were supposed to just have a big celebration with God. How cool is that? How cool is that? And so some of you need to grow in your understanding of God's celebratory character. Because what you see God as is this folded up, mean dude in heaven, long beard, ready to judge you. But scripture is so clear that God is a celebratory God and wants us to do that. And when we celebrate, we can think about what eternity is like in him. Third discipline of engagement is fellowship. All right, fellowship. Fellowship is the loving of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging one another to seek the Lord. 
right? Um, this happens in Christian communities. This also happens in discipleship relationships, right? You know that I love discipleship. I think it's the key to taking over the world with the gospel is discipleship, right? But I love that. So whether it be multiple people, right, or on an individual basis, when we build one another up in love, that is a discipline that helps us understand the Lord and more of who he is. In our community group, um, in uh, the one that meets in our house, we, um, there was a uh, a girl in there, and I didn't ask her if I could share this, so I won't say her name, but um, everybody who's in our community group will be like, I know who that is. But um, there's a girl in there who, after one day we were talking about covenant relationships outside of marriage. So just like relationships with one another in which we say, I'm for you, you're for me, let's build each other up so God calls us elsewhere, right? And so a, 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 a deep relationship, we even call the members at the well, we call them covenant community. They're saying we're going to covenant each, uh, 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 ourselves to each other in hopes that we would spur one another on toward Jesus. Jesus. So we were talking about this, talking about this, and this girl said, you know, well, well, how come I can't just, like, have a covenant relationship, like, with, you know, this person, like, my neighbor over here? And we were like, well, like, you can definitely have a relationship, but there's something different about fellowship. And it was one of those things, like, you were trying to explain, but it was really hard to explain. But everybody who had experienced fellowship was like, yeah, there, there's something about this that drives us into our intimacy with Christ. So we're going on and on and on and on. And finally, at the end of the group, she said, I don't think I've ever uh, experienced fellowship, truly, you know. And so like three of our girls were like, I'll be a friend of yours, right? And they were like loving her and did a really good job of embracing her, accepting her, welcoming her in and beginning to walk her through that. Since that point, I've seen a significant spiritual development in her. Now she was saved beforehand, right? But now she's really striving in her relationship with the Lord. Fellowship is a huge discipline that we can do that will help us know the Lord more, okay? So fellowship. Fourth discipline, confession. James 5, 16. It says, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, then you'll be healed, right? So that's a very interesting thing. Jake Ridley, actually, one of our elders, um, he, one of his favorite verses is in John three fourteen, in which it says, Jesus is saying that you will not uh, come into the light for fear that your deeds will be exposed. So you hide in the darkness and you don't come to the light because you're afraid of what the light will shine on it. But that's actually keeping you in death, right? It's kind of like when you have like a sore or something and like your mom comes and like rubs, you know, pours alcohol on it and it bubbles up and it feels nasty and like that's that's in a similar way, like confession. We can either try to hide that, okay, and never let it be touched, but it will just grow and fester and get more and more nasty, right? Or we can take care of it. Sometimes taking care of it hurts because we have to come out into the light, right? But it's really healing for our souls, okay? I have a group of men, actually about 10 of them, where every week I'll confess everything about my life because I don't want to be caught off guard by a sin that would disqualify me, as Paul said, from running this race that he's called me to run on. Right? And so every week when I begin to feel something even small, I think, I think there's something here, right? Here's what it is, guys. Keep me accountable. Love on me. Help me. Confession. Because it helps us walk in our relationship with the Lord. I know it's scary. But in order to be deeply loved, you have to be deeply known. And most of us are afraid to be deeply known. Right? But open up the knowledge. Now, yes, could you get hurt by that? You sure can. And on this side of eternity, you probably will. But that doesn't, shouldn't stop us from actually walking into that, right? Confessing our sins, letting other people speak gospel truth into our life, right? Reminding us of where our identity lies, how we can overcome this sin. These are all very, very important things, right? Prayer is the fifth discipline of engagement. 
Most of us in here know what prayer is, and so I won't actually spend a whole lot of time explaining that. But once again, if you want some good guidance, read Foster's book on this. It's a really good chapter on prayer. All right, but however, I want to draw us back to our foundation, what we kind of laid out at the beginning, and I want to set that over prayer. So I want to have you think about that, okay? The spiritually disciplined man must be what? We said earlier. Deliberate, good job. Discriminatory, good job. And diligent, all right, good job. Some of you are listening. I'm proud of you, all right, that's good. Um, the spiritual discipline man must be those three things, deliberate, discriminatory, and diligent. If I were to poll most of us here, we would probably say that these three words are lacking from our prayer life, right? Are we deliberate in our prayer life? Are we discriminatory? Do we choose to pray over different things, right? And are we diligent? Do we pray on a continual basis? See, the spiritually disciplined man has to have those things in their life, right? So prayer for me is actually the hardest discipline. For me personally, prayer is the hardest discipline, right? Like scripture, I can just pick it up. I love it. I want to fall in love with the word. I'll read it all the time, you know. Uh, uh, fasting, I don't really like it, but it's kind of easy for me to do sometimes. But prayer is very, very hard for me to do. Okay, and so this is what I've done, actually. And some of y'all are going to think this is psycho. It probably is a little bit, okay? It'll speak a little bit to my weird complexity, all right? So here's, know your pastor, I'm confessing that I can't be on the internet. Here's another confession, right? I have to structure my prayer times so aggressively or I just simply will not pray during the week, right? And so I'm not the guy that, like, gives shotgun prayers. You know what I mean by that? Like, you're going to a meeting, you're like, God, please help this meeting be good. And then like you walk away, right? Like you're not actually praying, but you're just kind of like real quick saying something, you know? Those are good. Those really are good. And you see those in scripture. I don't even do good at those, right? Like it's not in my mind. And so what I literally have to do is I have to set aside specific times of the day to pray and specific things to pray for. And so Monday, I have an extended time of prayer. I spend about two hours in prayer, and that's where I spend my most time. I do a lot of worship for a half hour, confession for like a half hour, pray for the sermon for like a half hour. I, like I literally do these certain things. Tuesday, I pray almost solely for the church, right? I have a list of a bunch of different things that I pray for for the church, boom, boom, boom. Wednesday, I pray for my family. My immediate family, my extended family, I pray very, very hard for my family. Thursday, I have this little book called The Handbook to Prayer. It's like, teach me how to pray, handbook. And I walk through the book and pray through that, right? Friday, I pray for the people I'm discipling and our elders and our pastors, right? Saturday, I pray mainly for myself, for my own zeal, my relationship with the Lord. And then Sunday, I pray for church. Very structured. And I spend about a half hour in each of those times of prayer because if I don't, I'm not going to pray. Now, of course, I pray for like Natalie and Micaiah every day, right? But if I don't set aside those times, the church is not about to get prayed for. <laughs> and it probably should, me being the pastor of it, right? So I know my limitations, okay? And so I had to literally structure my time so well in order to pray. Some of you may think that's psycho, and it probably is, all right? But do what it takes, is what I'm saying. For some of you, you may be great. As long as you wake up at six, you're going to pray, and that's good. Good, do that. But figure out ways to try to pray, to be disciplined, to engage God in the means of prayer. Because prayer is our communication with God. Think about this, right? We are able to talk to the God of the universe. You realize that? How crazy does that sound? That we could talk to the God of the universe. When I was in India several years ago, we, uh, we would see them offering these um, um, sacrifices to different gods. And what they would be doing is they would be trying to wake the gods up to listen to their prayers. So they would offer up like these flowers and they would burn them and the, the God was supposed to smell them and wake up. They would ring these bells, ring, 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 and try to wake up God. Scripture says that our God never sleeps, that we are able to walk into the throne room of grace with confidence to ask what we, what we need, and he'll help us in our time of need. How crazy is that? We have direct access into the God who created everything, 
That is so profound. Be disciplined in prayer because you can talk to the God of the universe in this way. Tell him what you need. See if he's actually real. Maybe you don't even believe in Jesus yet. That's fine. Go ask him if he's real in prayer because I'm confident that he'll reveal himself to you because he is a real God, right? We can pray to God. Last one that we're going to look at today is scripture or study or whatever, reading the Bible, whatever word you want to put right there, right? I can say a lot of the same things about scripture that I just did with prayer, okay? And so I will actually give you two practical how-tos with this one, all right? So all the other ones you want to set base, I will give you two practical how-tos. One, jump in our read the Bible class. Shameless plug. I don't care, <laughs> all right? Jump into it, okay? Um, join the class. Learn how to practice discipline well. Maybe you've been through hermeneutics class and stuff. You're not going to learn much there. That's great. You have the good foundation. Now actually just go practice it. But if you've never looked at how is it that we can do certain things that will help us read the Bible well, I would just encourage you to do that. I think it's going to be great. I think it'll be very uh, uh, foundational for a lot of us to help us dive into Scripture well. Throughout Christian history, Scripture and prayer have been the two things that uh, Christians have leaned the most heavily into to help uh, motivate their relationship with God. And so Scripture is very, very, very important because in prayer, we're talking to God to some extent, and Scripture is God talking to us. Right? It's our conversation with God. Prayer and Scripture is. And so second, I would encourage you to read the Bible in a year with us. All right, read the Bible in a year with us. Hop on that plan, okay? I know you may be a week behind, that's fine. Literally pick up where we're gonna start tomorrow. Don't worry about catching up because normally when you pick up the Bible anyway, you just pick some random book and start reading from there, right? And so it's not, I mean, it's okay to kind of jump into a certain spot. If you wanna catch up, great, do that. But just jump on and begin to read it with us. Uh, because the church is doing it as a whole, you kind of add the element of fellowship that we just talked about into our scripture time. And that happens a lot, like worship, Coming to church, worshiping God also adds in the element of, uh, of fellowship. It also adds in the element of scripture. We're talking about scripture. It also adds in the element of prayer, etc. And so a lot of these you can kind of marry together and practice them in, in a combined effort. And if you jump along in that way, that would be one way that can really help motivate you. Because you'll get accountability because the whole church will be doing it. And when you start falling off, they'll be like, hey man, come on, let's go. And they can help you, right? I mean, every athlete has a coach, don't they? And so to some extent, we could be coaches for each other or trainers for each other that really press us toward knowing Jesus, right? Obviously, you don't have to do this, okay? You, like, not doing that doesn't make you a lesser Christian. We're not going to judge you, okay? So don't, if you don't feel like God's calling you to do something else, do something else. But what I'm encouraging you to do is find something to discipline your life around to really seek after Jesus, you know, um, as a church, we're focusing on the disciplines at the start of the year, as you can tell, right? Heavy Bible, how to read the Bible class, read the Bible in a year, talking about disciplines here. Um, we want to do this because we hope that this will really motivate your relationship with God and carry it all the way through 2015, right? That you would begin to get intimate with God, to begin to know him in a deep way, to learn what it means to be obedient to what he's called you to do, and that that would carry out throughout the whole year, that's what we're really hoping for within all these. So that's why we're taking a quick break from John. That's why we're talking about these things because we hope that we can begin to dive deep into our relationship with Christ, right? So one question you can ask yourself today, if you want an application question, is which of these disciplines that we talked about today do you need to practice more? Okay, which of the ones are you lacking? And what are some ways that you'll be deliberate, discriminatory, and diligent to do that discipline this week, right? Like write something practical down, Okay, like something that you will actually go do. So if it's like, I need to read the Bible more, then write down, I'll be deliberate. I will actually do it. Maybe be discriminatory. I will not get on Facebook until I read my Bible, right? Whatever it may be, whatever is helpful for you and choose a way in which you can really do that. Knowing Christ will ultimately spur on our gospel witness and proclamation. 
It really will. It will help us share the gospel. It will help us want others to know Jesus because it will also motivate, by the way, our holiness or us being more like Christ as well. But because the more we grow in love with him, Okay, the more we understand who he is, the more we get glimpses here and there of the God of the universe, the more we'll want to make his name famous both in our own hearts and in the world around us. We will want people to know about the beauty of God because when we begin to experience him and what this says, how beautiful our God is, how slow to anger he is, how patient he is, how he is filled with grace, right? Even in the parts where it seems a little bit scary, once we get to a deeper picture of what it is, We'll see that God's great love for us overpowers even our deepest sin. And then we can walk in that beauty. We'll want others to know that truth, right? We'll be filled with a desire for people to know and love God. And so the disciplines are a huge way, a means of grace, if you will, in which we can really understand and grow and develop in our relationship with God. And so I pray that all of us would be more disciplined this year, right? Not to be better people, okay? I don't care about that. I'm not Oprah, right? Like trying to make a better person only, okay? I want you to know Jesus. Jesus is the wellspring of life. Knowing him gives you joy that you cannot even begin to imagine. The hope, the peace, the love that we feel in Christ, right? The, the promise of eternity, of eternal life in him. This is what I want you to know. And so in the disciplines, we're not trying to shape your betterment as a person to do these right things. We're trying to shape you to know Jesus, Right? And so let's strive after, let's get to know Jesus this week, that we would make much of Christ for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for the disciplines. God, I thank you that you've given us a way that we can actually interact with the God of the universe, you. Christ, while so frequently, and I even find myself doing this, God, I try to figure out ways in which I can try to communicate with you. I try to figure out ways, and it puts a burden on me to try to figure out what do you want. God, you've laid out in Scripture many different ways in which we can seek you, and then you said that you'll show us yourself in those ways. God, so be it in the word, and we get to see your grace, your mercy, your character, your your goodness, the gospel. Be it in prayer where we get to communicate with you be it in meditation or the different things we'll look at next week, God, fellowship, confession, all these things are ways in which we can know you more. And God, that's what we long for. I want to know you more. God, I want us to know you more as a congregation, Jesus. And so God, would you spur up in our hearts? Would you prick us? Would you uh, uh, encourage us to really seek after you, Christ? Not so that we'll be better people, not so that we'll do the right things per se, but because knowing you is the greatest thing in the world, knowing you is life, Christ. Help us to experience life, God. God, I love you so much, God. Help us to know you in deep, profound, intimate, awesome ways, Jesus. And out of that knowledge of you, help us to desire that everybody else would know you in that same way, God. That once we draw close to you, our gospel proclamation, our desire to, to help others see the same truth that we see, the beauty, the life that's in Christ, God, let that spur us on toward making your name famous. Jesus, you are good. You are good. Praise in your precious name. Amen.